and boom, live, Chris Winterhalter. Do you remember the first time that we met at that uh, restaurant, like way back when, Chicago? I think I do. When it, the first restaurant was at Slow and Santos uh, in the South Loop of Chicago. Yeah, boom. So a little introduction, give, give people a two, three minute intro on what it is um, that you do. Yeah, so um, let's see here. Well, I like to label myself an entrepreneur, um, mainly for all of the hard work and pain that has gone in uh, to my career of it. Um, but uh, I, uh, I have a real estate investment company and a hotel construction company. And I originally started off um, on during the Great Recession so end of 2008, kind of the beginning of 2009, uh, trying to figure out how I was going to invest in real estate um, on the residential and uh, multifamily side. Um, and, uh, and so throughout, uh, you know, let's say 2009 to 2013 was kind of navigating how to start that business or running that business, buying and selling properties, uh, a lot of foreclosures, um, a lot of short sales, pre-foreclosures, and um, was kind of learning a lot on the fly about real estate investing and business. Um, a couple of uh, interesting things I feel like I pulled from that were really uh, the lead generation piece, all the way how to, how to generate a lead and how to convert it. Um, and then also like the nuances of real estate investment and uh, how it can be a difficult long game um, and um, really how to underwrite an investment on that side. So I'm still own a handful of apartment buildings uh, and uh, haven't been active on that business since probably 2013 or 14 uh, and just manage the, the portfolio. Oh. Uh, that's all done third party. How hard was it? Uh, to, go ahead. How hard was it to? How old were you? Oh eight, oh nine, just get, getting started. Were you just out of college? Uh, yeah. Yep. I graduated undergrad and uh, spent my first year working a corporate job and trying to figure out how I could start a business. And so let's say here, I started my first business at twenty two. So that real estate business was started when I was twenty two, twenty three. And that was what, flipping homes or what was the real estate business that you were doing? Yeah, so it was flipping homes. We were, uh, so this was, if you remember the massive foreclosure yeah. um, uh, scene that really went through from 09 to 13 uh, or um, kind of in that span of time, we, we had a couple different strategies. So we, uh, we were short selling and wholesaling properties. So, you know, think about, you'd find somebody that was in foreclosure or yeah. that was potentially going to be in foreclosure and you would work a deal with the bank, right. To negotiate a lower price. And then we would sell that deal um, uh, yeah. before we closed typically on it or right after we closed. Uh, and that was really a game of marketing and valuation easier said than done, but it, it was a really effective tool for people that were able to figure it out. Um, and then we were buying and buying, uh, fixing and flipping homes, which if you've ever done that, um, can be glorious on TV, but is a painful process. And in my opinion, not 
uh, my favorite way to make a buck. Um, yeah. And challenging to scale, I can tell you that. And wholesaling is um, not an atrocious. I, I don't know back in, I mean, now I think all the, everyone who used to do wholesaling now is only selling courses on wholesaling. <laughs> I don't know that the OG wholesalers are like still out there trying to put out signs, we buy ugly houses, call for cash deals, that type of deal like you probably did back in the day. Um, did, how did you get into, was, was wholesale, I know wholesaling as it exists now is a very kind of entry entryway into the market because you're not really ever taking equity in the deal so you don't need capital and you're just kind of connecting parties and a lot of people market that it's a good way to get into real estate back then, was it was wholesaling like wild wild west or was it still pretty people were selling courses on here's how you wholesale how did you kind of get into the wholesaling game the real estate get rich quick underworld of the information salespeople yeah. the, the 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 promoters did they um, get you? so did they hook you in uh, uh, i will say that my introduction probably the wholesaling was probably through a get rich quick person. And um, the one thing that I feel like I had in my favor, I had no misconception that it was, I was gonna get rich quick. I knew it was gonna be difficult and take much longer than it was ever conveyed to me. Um, and that's where I think most people, you know, most people that maybe uh, bought a course or wanted to try to invest in real estate and get rich quick, they, you know, weren't able to do it quickly. And they're like, this is too much for me and kind of gave it up. So there, there are a lot of con men out there. There are a lot of people that are in the between con men to legitimate business. Sure. Um, and um, I, I, but I do, uh, I do want to say, I am thankful that that world existed at least for me to understand and get some exposure to uh, the real estate world, especially through wholesaling. I mean, why would you, what, so what for, was it just, it got too competitive to track down, just, I guess the short selling market and the REO market just dried up. So you just moved on. I don't know how it seems outside of just getting competed out of it, going from wholesaling, never touching a property, getting five or 10 grand at a closing table versus owning a property, dealing with asbestos termites, all the real life of flipping a house seems like that would be a, a hard transition, a harsh reality to accept. What pushed you out of wholesaling? Uh, I think it eventually became the leads. So uh, the massive flow of leads from mainly pre-foreclosures started to dry up as the market started to, to get better. Um, I, I think that I'm sure there were opportunities in other spots and other you know, parts across the country for that piece. But um, that was a big piece. And a lot of that dried up um, as, for, you know, foreclosure rates started to shrink. And so did you go from short, did you go from house rehab? Was that kind of the core team that you, that you eventually transitioned into hotel rehab? Was that how that transition happened? Uh, kind of. So my business partner, I met. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I, I was, so I was trying to get as much knowledge as possible. Yeah. And I, 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 I still believe in being a sponge and um, I just might get information from different places today, but a chunk of places I've got information were definitely 
this, you know, the real estate information folks of some people that did invest in real estate and had some experience, but figured that they could make more money selling products um, and, um, you know, expensive, uh, you know, three-day events. But I met my current business partner. Still around? Are they still selling? Um, I, I think, well, let's see here. I'm trying to remember the person. So I met my business partner at one of these events. And I believe, I'm trying to remember who the group was, but I think they're still around. Um, they are, um, who was it? Oh, do you know, fortune builders, uh, fan Merrill. Yeah. Than. He was on, he, he, he was on a and E slip this house. He's and, like um, a guy, right. The, like he went to Yale. For yeah. And he's, ended up, he like played football there or something and had that show. Yeah. I'm mean, super sharp guy. And his team was really sharp and they, they had fixed and flipped properties. They were legitimate. They had wholesaled properties. And then they really grew the information side of that, the education side of that business. And that's what, I mean, I think they, they grew that, to, you know, past $75 million a year and just yeah. high margin education. And they still, I know they still invested in real estate, which I think was smart because it provided them that credibility and they were smart enough to do it and they had the cash. Um, so uh, they, they had solid, they, they, they were a good group. Um, but once again, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a nugget of information to say that they made more money yeah. selling educational products than investing in real estate. Yeah. Um, so I remember I met my current business partner at one of those events in 09 and I was having a really down bad day. My, um, my ex-girlfriend, uh, I was supposed to go visit her for my birthday the next day in Guatemala. And, um, she, she told me she met a Guatemalan man and I shouldn't come down to Guatemala. <laughs> and this is like, a, this is like a college girl, a girlfriend. And I was like, so distraught and like depressed. And I'm like, I'm going to go, to this event and turn around my day because I can't just be sad and depressed uh, that I guess I got dumped from somebody in Central America yeah. and I had to cancel my flight on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you, so, you meet, so, this, so this was for uh, wholesaling and re residential class that Than was putting on. You meet this guy. Um, you say, let's do business together in some fashion. Yeah. So he was, you know, he's, let's say he's 15, 13 years older than I am. And uh, he had um, owned a construction company, had some money and wanted to invest in real estate. Um, and so we had met, I pitched him an idea, you know, um, on investing, fixing, flipping houses and wholesaling um, and kind of, you know, uh, uh, this modified strategy that I had that was also, you know, kind of what he was learning to do. And so we, we ended up over the course of, I don't know, the next three to four months starting a real estate business together and of which we still have today. And uh, he was in my wedding, became a really close friend and, um, and somebody I, I trust and uh, immensely, obviously. Yeah. Um, and what so was, the, what was that, the idea that you pitched him on? Is that hotel rehab? That's what you do today with him? No, no. So I pitched him on the real estate idea of 
it was really, you know, let's, let's try to flip 10 to 12 houses and we can parlay, parlay that cash into multifamilies. Um, I think at the time, although I like the idea of, you know, having a business and earning, uh, you know, active income, I really like the idea of more passive income um, or cash flow, um, or at least I thought I did, um, and of which I, I I still do. I just think it's uh, um, easier said than done when you have no money as a 22 or 23 year old, yeah. and um, you know you're uh, trying to build an empire. Um, so we I pitched him on this idea. We we were in business a handful of years together on the real estate side. He had some exposure to this hotel world and um, uh, this hotel renovation world. And I thought it was an extremely interesting business. And uh, we decided to create what is now hotel rehabs from kind of an offshoot of some of the experience that he had essentially being like a subcontractor in this world of hotel renovations. And um, so what fast forward into, you know, 2013, 14, uh, we, we had this idea um, that was modified and we just literally had to go get the business. So breaking into the world of hotel construction is a little difficult because like, Hey, we're a construction company. Hire us to do your multi-million dollar hotel renovation. Yeah. Um, How does that that end up happening? How did, because now, as the happy ending of the story is basically you do all the renovations for these flags, Marriott's, whatever, you're kind of their preferred provider that they give to the franchisees to do their required upkeep maintenance, whatever that's stipulated in their franchise agreement. But starting, I guess your partner had construction background. So you're trying to parlay that as the, this is, how does that, how does that first meeting go? <laughs> yeah. So we, um, I, I, you know, starting the real estate business, doing construction, fixing, flipping, figuring out all that deal flow. I, it was just literally like learn by doing, learn as much as you can, figure out, figure it out along the way, and uh, plenty of mistakes, plenty of pain, um, but really learned a lot about the construction side from at least kind of the small construction redevelopment side from the real estate side. And that coupled with my partner's construction experience, uh, we, we put together a plan to essentially go out and and generate business. The first sale was difficult. It took, I don't know, it took like a year to get the first sale uh, because it's such a long sales cycle. So I remember just kind of grinding away, calling people, um, uh, going to conferences and events, working my marketing plan day after day, email after email, call after call, rejection after rejection after rejection. And then finally, the first one hit and the first one hit and then kept consistent with that plan. I think the consistency was was how we were able to kick it off. And um and then, you know, deals continued to flow from there and really build on the model. Did, was the original idea where you're at today, is that essentially, the, is that the essence of the original idea or did you kind of 
pivot into, oh, these franchise people are required to do this amount of maintenance. So it's really not the franchisees that we're, we shouldn't be calling these locations anymore. Like, did you understand that business model going into it or was it just hitting after a sequence, a series of brick walls and you end up, oh, but we've been attacking the wrong part of the business? I think we, we learned quite a bit. So to kind of take a step back, if you think about the, ho- the world of hotel renovation and construction, the hotel world is very small. Like you can see that you, know, you have, you know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar hotels, right? And huge billion, billion dollar um, industry, right? So there's a lot of dollars to it, but there's not that many people in the industry. It's very small. Like you see a lot of niche Right. I'm sure, uh, you know, your industry specific uh, industry of entertainment. Right. There's a small amount of players. Um, You see that a lot in, you know, different business niches, but definitely in different real estate niches. Right. You're like, oh, billions of dollars in this industry, but there's only so many players. Um, And so we I think one thing that we really learned was it's such a small network and your brand is everything and your reputation is everything. And uh, if you have a strong rec- reputation, you do what you say you're going to do, um, you can really build a lot of just organic repeat and referral business to get a lot of momentum, right? Uh, I think that's one thing that we, we learned a lot about the business. But if you think about what the industry ha- uh, really needs to do, you go into a hotel room, you know, you know Uh, some people stay in hotels 200 nights a year. Some people just stay in a hotel, you know, a couple of weeks for their family vacation. Right. Uh, But essentially that hotel room has to be renovated every seven years. And if you're staying in, it doesn't really matter what hotel, but if you think Marriott, Hilton, IHG and Hyatt, those four major U S brands that have over 80 plus sub brands within them, they have all of these requirements and all the requirements are pretty much around every seven years. They have to replace the furniture, the carpet, the paint, you know, they're doing heavy soft and, uh, and heavy renovations every seven, 14, 21 years. Yeah. And somebody has to do that work. It has to be done very quickly. It's very capital intensive because you're replacing all of the furniture, right? That furniture, all of the color schemes, the bathrooms, they're outdated in seven years, right? Um, and, uh, and so it creates a massive amount of work. That coupled with the industry being so small and how hotels are owned, generally they're not owned specifically by a group in one city. Even small and mid-sized ownership groups own them across the US, right? And thus they're trying to work with a partner like us to facilitate that work across the US. So uh, to kind of answer your question, we learned quite a bit about the market and I felt, uh, and and made small tweaks along the way, but I would say that that initial 2014 action plan, however simplistic and basic it was, uh, it's really carried us through to our growth today. The consistency has been key with how we've done our business development and how we've executed on our projects. Was there, was there an incumbent that you were trying to dethrone or was part of the allure that it was pretty fragmented? And what was, 
pre-hotel rehab, what, what, was the, what was the market that you saw as something that was attackable? Yeah, so I'll recommend you know, anybody listening to never start a construction company. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no. um, so I always, I always wanted to build a saleable and a scalable company. And I like to say construction is neither. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I've really hit a home run here. No, um, it's, it's, it's probably the most scalable um, uh, and more saleable than, than, than most pieces in the industry. And there's so many things I like about this niche, right? Um, there's so many things that we can do to defy the industry of, low margins and mitigating risk that other big GCs can't do. Um, I don't think we ever really want to dethrone a competitor. I actually don't think about our competitors very much. I'm not super interested in being like our competitors. Yeah. The, the construction industry has been so archaic and the bar has been set so low for so long. I think um, what I've been focused on is doing things differently um, and I originally, I looked at it of, okay, we want to be, we, we really want to be the leader in the space, but we also want to be a really damn good partner. And how can we be a damn good partner? Uh, and uh, originally looked at it that we can look at your investment through a different uh, lens because we own property and understand real estate. Right. Um, and I, I feel like that, that approach has allowed us to build great client relationships uh, because it's not just that transactional, you know, we're going to do your project. Uh, we're going to change order for, for this work, you know, because we contractually can, you know, right. even if it's not the right thing to do. Um, and, um, and so that, that different approach, I think has um, really, really fueled the growth. I also think that that bar being set so low in construction, so much of the last five and six years, there have been certain points I'm like, we're failing, we're failing. And we're succeeding, right? Because that bar is set so low and there are reasons for it, right? Projects are unique and complex by nature. Yeah. Everybody knows construction in general is a mess, right? Um, just even for people that have done, you know, just small uh, construction on their house, right? Over budget, over schedule, right? It's a common thing. Statistically, you look at it, like so many projects are over budget um, and over schedule. And so you see a problem, uh, an industry riddled with problems and so painful. A lot of people are like, I wanna get out. This is not something I wanna be in. And I think there's a validity to that, knowing that. I think we look at it as, let's figure out all this pain, let's internalize it, and then let's use that pain to figure out how to solve problems to, you know, be different in the industry. Yeah. The, um, what, is, what, is the, what does the margin profile look like on a, because y'all basically come in as a general contractor, so you, the, are you the GC that's on all the permitting and then you, you're subbing out you're finding local subs or you bring your own subs that are on your payroll? Yeah. So we, um, 
we do both, right? So we, we, we do act as a GC. We also act as like a design builder. So we have a procurement design department. So think in a hotel room, you have drapery, mattress, dressers, furniture, upholstery, right? Vanities. We source and buy all for, uh, most of that furniture for most of our projects across the, uh, across the world. Um, we do some design build work along with uh, construction. One, uh, one of the most difficult things is what you were kind of alluding to. How do you get skilled labor? So we, we do move people around the, the U.S. We have a lot of traveling subcontractors. You know, these are people that just renovate hotel rooms for 360 days a year um, uh, that, you know, just install tile. And, and hotel bathrooms for, you know, and 360 are, days a year. And they roll on a project-by-project project basis. Um, well, we don't really 1099 anybody because uh, uh, the the world of compliance is beyond that for, for the 1099 world. But um, we do have some subcontractors that have businesses, right, that um, that we subcontract to. And then we, we do some internal self-perform work um, as well. And then we do hire some local people, uh, lo lo local subcontractors. I would say always consistently creating new relationships with locals is kind of the, the, one of the bigger challenges of it. But to give you a little idea, let's say we're doing a project in Silicon Valley. We might move people from Miami to do that project. We might be doing a project in Miami the, the following month. And we might move people from California to Miami. It's, um, it sounds absurd or crazy, but it's really not because um, it's all a matter of when can somebody start and finish a project, who is the best resource for the project, and then getting them set up on the project. You know, we always have housing typically included either at the hotel or offsite. So moving people around is just a, a different, you know, aspect of our business. Yeah, I mean, it's a problem that I ran into in, entertain, in building entertainment parks in different locations. I, and we ran into a similar issue. We have subs and we have skilled labor and local permitting. I, just, I can't imagine doing it on a national. It's, the, it's my least favorite part of my business, <laughs> which is your entire business. So I, I commend yeah. you. For the complexity that uh, that you're taking on, and so that's that's the hotel um, rehab business, and then you also said you have a real estate investment group. So what does that look like? Yeah, so right now it's been fairly dormant, although I think um, we, you know, we're really looking at how do we restart that um, given the current crisis and some of the opportunities that are going to come in. Uh, you know, we own. Uh, maybe five apartment buildings, uh, still own some single family rentals. I spend very little time in that. They were all redeveloped projects and um, really they're, they're professionally managed. Just do kind of a monthly review. Uh, that's uh, those type of investments, right? I think take, take time, especially turnaround value add work takes time to stabilize and get to that point. Um, but we're really ready for the next chapter. So nothing super active in that space, but really looking at uh, uh, what are we going to do in kind of this phase two of investment. Yeah. And is that you and the same partner that you have in the re uh, hotel rehab business? Or is that you by yourself? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how, uh, what's going to happen with phase two. I think 
uh, current partner is, um, um, you know, a different life aspect, but um, I would say it just, uh, just depends on what the appetite is on either side. So, yeah. Um, what, um, what's, what do you think is the worst piece of real estate advice you've had from the time that you started? Worst piece of advice. The word, there's been a lot of bad advice. <laughs> it's um, the top three then. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the worst piece of advice. Um, there, there was somebody that um, had like this strategy that they sweared by. This is like 09, 010. You would fix, you would fix up the apartment uh, or you'd fix up the single family or residential piece of real estate uh, you would get it quickly reappraised and then you would pull cash out of it and you would do that time after time after time. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that approach, but their approach was to continue to put that cash kind of uh, uh, in, into the next deal and keep pulling out more and more and more. And, so and what they didn't really, yeah, uh, essentially over leveraging and, 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 disregarding the true financials of these deals. Um, and that person, uh, which was a, you know, real estate get rich quick expert. Um, they, they had all, most of their real estate all foreclosed on and lost it all. But I'm pretty sure they kept all that money. So um, uh, they probably have some judgments on their credit, but uh, <laughs> that was the worst piece of advice. So, Nothing necessarily wrong with pulling money out of a property, but the fundamentals still have to work. And leverage is a devil that you have to deal with carefully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's crazy. What's the best? What, what's kind of the, as you've done it and as you've done these deals, both on the um, operating side in terms of doing the construction and then on the investing side, what's the, what, what do you think is someone who's just starting out with what's the, the, what's the golden rule? The golden rule. Well, you know, real estate is slow to change, right? Um, so is construction, but uh, it's still so, I mean, it's physical, right? It's, it's location based and, I think a great piece of advice that I got was really understanding your neighborhood, your city, right? The, the valuation of your piece of real estate based on that overall demographic and not just knowing it from the micro block, which is very important, but also the overall city and uh, where things are trending and uh, both in the neighborhood and the overall general macro standpoint. Uh, I think that, uh, that piece of advice of know your neighborhood, spend time to understand the, the real estate and to spend time to value it, meaning you know, you're looking at whether it's an apartment building, a house and self storage to truly understand the comp demographic, both on why something is valued some, uh, this way versus another way as it compares to kind of the, the location of it is really sound advice. Yeah. Um, it's uh, especially 
it, you know, if, if investing from afar when you're small can be done, but it's trickier and you still have to know that neighborhood, even if you're investing from afar. So you, you get a lot of the, um, you get a lot of people from California, right. That try to invest in, uh, Arizona, Utah, the Midwest, um, and they might see lower price points, but if they truly don't understand the value, uh, and the market, they can really get burned. Um, so I think that's one great piece of advice that, that hasn't changed. The, um, the other piece of advice is, uh, which is a, a common piece of advice of, you know, get a great mentor. I have a mentor. I think it's great advice, but understanding on, you know, how do you get a mentor in that space um, to really uh, either potentially invest in deals to help, to help add value in some sort of way as you're learning along someone else, I think is, is critical in this space as well, because you're only going to hear about the, the win, the stories, the, the get rich quick stories, the, the wins. You're never going to hear, you're going to hear about that one person. You're not going to hear about the other 99 people that lost 200 grand of their life savings because they made a wrong move, even though they said they followed all these 10 steps. Right. Yeah. And I think you can't forget that. What a, so you said that of your apartment complexes, you have a property manager. And so you don't, are you a proponent of, as I've looked at apartment complex deals, I'm like, oh, it's got to be close. Like, I'm going to manage it. Like, I'm not going to give 10% off the top. So that's kind of the entrepreneurial, like, DIY, like, I can figure anything out part of my personality of, like, never give any money to anybody <laughs> or anything. <laughs> but uh, what have, what's been your experience uh, with more hands-off ownership of your assets? Yeah. Wait, do you have an assistant? I have virtu I have a couple of virtual assistants. Okay. Okay. Um, I was curious based on your comment of keep the money in house, do things that I can do and not give away the cash capital. <laughs> um, uh, I do think a great assistant is worth the weight in gold, by the way. Um, virtual I have an amazing one. I have a couple of virtual ones and I'll never, it's impossible to go back, but uh, it's something that I fought with, not from a money standpoint, but just like the hassle of building the organization around them, building the procedures around them, being able to help you, you know? Yeah, it, it takes time. I, I've had many virtual assistants in the past. I have a, uh, in-person assistant. It's not in person right now, but, um, I hope to never, I hope to have her forever. She's incredible. Yeah. And there's definitely, as you mentioned, there's a lot of built up knowledge of that, yeah. of that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, she was mad because you didn't send the invite earlier today and I never put it on my calendar. Um, and so she had to move some things around. Um, but um, so property manager, no property manager. Uh, you're way too smart not to have a property manager unless you want to start a property management business, um, in my opinion. Um, I, it depends on what level but there are so many things about starting a real estate business that uh, can take your time. That the 10%, like, and 10% would be like a fee on like a small, like a single family or a small apartment building. 
right? When you get into, you know, a 50 or 100 unit building, you're, you're going to drop down to a, a, more, a more standard fee structure, 5, 5% plus. But then expenses are, are spread apart differently on who pays those. But um, in my opinion, you should, uh, it depends what you want to do and what your goals are. There's something to be said for learning the property management business. And if that is a business that you want to learn or you have a specific reason to want to go through the pain of, of that, you can. I see a lot of people that try to do it because they want to save a few bucks and they just distract from their overall investment philosophy and their investment goals. And they get just buried in tenant requests and toilets and, and just, uh, I don't, I, most of the time I think it's a bad use of time unless there's a specific reason for it. No, that's, I think that's, I think that's really good advice. Um, now, I, well, I'll, hold on. I'll add one thing onto that. So if you look at how a lot of real estate deals are done on the bigger level, so let's say, you know, 50 plus units, uh, two, three, four, five million dollar plus deals. Um, a lot, and a lot of those groups are done by, you know, mid, small to mid-sized plus groups. Uh, a lot of ways those groups aggregate capital, they raise capital, and a lot of the ways that people want to invest in those companies and those deals uh, relate to because maybe they have a property management arm, right? And so they can differentiate themselves by having a management and a control piece while they're growing it. So with that being said, Right there, um, uh, you still have to want to be able to grow a management company, but that gives you a different edge, and it gives you an ability to raise capital in a different way. Yeah, and the trade-off is you're dealing with the worst part about a property. A hundred percent, the tenant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to get into the uh, the part of the the deal that we were talking about, we were talking about Friday, which is what I think will be interesting is uh, how you think uh, coronavirus will, um, coronavirus, national debt, whatever, will affect uh, various aspects of the real estate market. And this is all just crystal ball, just outlandish, throwing darts in the dark because no one knows, but we're going to make you pretend like you do. Um, so what do you think? Okay. What do you think? What happens to, what happens to, and this is more, this is less of a macroeconomic because I don't really care about that, but more of a, more of a like interesting places to look into, you know, things are going to likely get repriced. Mm -hmm. So from an entrepreneur standpoint, breaking into the market, uh, less of like, uh, what's Hilton going to do with their hotel portfolio, which isn't my problem because I'm probably not going to make money off of that. Um, so what do you think from, from a hotel standpoint, opportunity there, or we'll, we'll call it opportunity or don't touch it with a 10 foot pole by real estate segment. Uh, don't touch it with a 10 foot pole. No, touch it with a 10 foot pole. If you're sophisticated, there's uh, uh, there's two things that could happen: massive hotel foreclosures, uh, or potentially not. 
but it, it looks like there could be mass hotel foreclosures. And if there is, that creates a lot of opportunity, right? Uh, hotels are really, just like any aspect of real estate and business, supply and demand. Your supply is gonna stop, which is a good thing. Um, and uh, your the distress in the market and potentially, right, um, the amount of deals in the market are going to increase as, you know, if there's mass foreclosure. So if you want to get into the hotel business uh, and you have to be very careful getting into the hotel business, you have to want to be in it, um, yeah. then it could be a potential good time. I would recommend that you should be more liquid and this is not a strategy to be uh, for, for, you know, no cash or little cash to try to bootstrap your marketing. Yeah. If you have a significant amount of capital and it wants to be an investment strategy, then I think that there are quite a few avenues to get into the space potentially over the next 24 months. However, if there's so many niches in this space too. So, you know, you're like, hotels are gonna be, nobody's gonna travel. Well, that's not true. There's already pent up demand for travel. You're gonna see eco travel, you know, outdoor tourism, parks, national parks. Um, you're gonna see that increase. So. There was already this kind of tiny home Airbnb trend, right? Um, I think in the right markets with the right experience, uh, you could, you know, you could create a business model and an investment that uh, you know, can gain traction, you know, over the next two years. So I think there's some opportunity in that space. From a, development, well. from a development standpoint, you're saying more than more than buying existing. I, I think you can buy existing and redevelop if, if there if that is something there. Um, but I think you know may, maybe it's some type of mobile home park conversion. Uh, maybe it's raw land and developing. Uh, maybe it's something existing that you're you're going to buy and repurpose because um, maybe it was over leveraged. Right? There's opportunity in that space um, as well. So I think that avenue of hospitality has traction. What do you think about apartment, uh, multifamily, yeah, apartment complexes? Opportunity or don't touch it? So, um, well, I, I'm not sure. Let's say apartments come down 10, 15, 20%. I think, yeah, there's opportunity. You should look at it. Um, we haven't seen that yet, um, but I would be monitoring multifamily. I love it. It's a stable investment. Um, I think you, uh, you know, be careful with how you're looking at the durability of that income uh, and be careful with your tenant demographic, but there's going to be, you know, offer opportunity, some opportunity in that space. I think you're going to have thinner margins and you need to be careful with the deals that come on the market. What's the size, what's the unit size that starts to scare you once it, once it gets below? You know, as a five unit deal, you're like, it's just, you're going to, you're dealing with such massive issues that it's just not worth it. Or what's the, how do you think about it size wise on multifamily? Yeah, I think when you get below in general, if you have below 50 units, um, give or take, uh, you're going to, you're going to struggle, depending on what type of investments, you're going to struggle to average out your expenses and even out the, the, the peaks and valleys of the cash flow piece. But, you know, 
ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, it's a great way for people to get started. Just understand that your cash flow can be disrupted in a big way when you only have 20 units and you have a bunch of furnaces that go out, right? Or um, you have a bunch of tenants that, you know, want to turn over, right? In general, uh, when you have more units, the averages, right? Smooth out those peaks and valleys. They allow you to have more consistent management, you know, o- overall time input. And, um, and, and overall, if you're looking for a long-term strategy of multifamily investment, I would say have a goal to get to a number of properties, number of units that are going to allow you to have efficiency of management and a certain scale that's going to even out the cash flow in peaks and valleys. Yeah. So. What do you think about what do you think about uh, mobile home parks? Uh, I have a buddy who is heavily invested in mobile home parks. I like mobile home parks. Um, I think in really rough areas, you have to be very careful. Um, and you have to look at, do you own the land, the pad, or the, or the mobile home park, or the mobile home uh, house, or the manufactured house? So, you know, depending on the deal, right, uh, it's going to be a thinner, lower uh, return for less ownership of the deal and just the land and the pad. Um, and because it's, it's going to be more stable, right, income. But there's a lot of money to be made on both as well, as most of those deals are seller financed. And uh, there's a lot of times they're seller financed at 10, 12, really? 13, 14, 15% interest. Uh, and so there's, so there's uh, arbitrage to be made there as well. Uh, make sure you check Dodd Frank, uh, I'm not an attorney. Um, and uh, um, so, uh, but I would be careful with the low, low income deals because they can be very heavily management intensive. Um, but other than that, like RV parks with other, you know, other types of aspects, there's a lot of different ways to boost income in those, in those deals. Um, and I, right now, it doesn't look like there's going to be any much more opportunity in that space than there is in multifamily. It's staying stable right now. but um, I think time will tell because you have all of these blue collar workers that are in those spaces and you have massive unemployment right now, and that's going to continue to ripple through the, the economy. Uh, and so, you know, there, there could be uh, some solid deals in that space. Yeah. So if I'm, uh, what, what do you think about um, office, office retail. <laughs> we were just Ooh, talking so <laughs> I, I, I have a buddy who is a um, office tenant rep, very successful, and he invests in a bunch of different real estate. And he doesn't like offices and real estate investment. <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, I was looking at, do we buy an office for the hotel business or do we lease it? Um, and I was like, oh, we should buy, we should buy. And just like, just doesn't pencil out, you know? So, so we, we lease, um, even though we have the capital to buy an office. Um, I think office is a tricky uh, investment. Um, it's very capital intensive, uh, you know, to provide additional funds for TI for the tenants. You can have your cash flow disrupted in a big way, and 
it requires a lot of intimate knowledge of the market. Um, I would not recommend Office to most, you know, uh, people that are trying to get into real estate. Yeah. Retail. Um, wow, retail. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be. It's going to continue to evolve. I, I have a buddy who uh, is in retail and. He he likes it, but he has a lot of major deals with um, a lot of all the major retailers and the heads of those retailers. So he can go in and structure a deal um, to uh, and really understand the economics of it. Right? It's all about the lease, right? So let's say you want to buy a Dollar General store, right? A double net or a triple net lease, right? Um, it's all going to be about that renewal. Right. What, what is the term on that uh, on that lease? So if you have a year left on it, how how confident are you in your knowledge to be able to release that? It's all that specialized knowledge. Do you have 10 years on it? Right. And you believe that it's something that can survive throughout you know, a pandemic and a crisis like this. Then, you know, I think that um, it's a potential decent place to put your money. Just know that. Uh, a sure thing is not always a sure thing, right? You have Starbucks that is trying to renegotiate leases right now on a corporate level. You have a lot of major retailers that are trying to to renegotiate with their with their landlords. Yeah, and um, we co-tenant with a dollar gen- with Dollar General at two of our locations, and Dollar General hasn't paid rent since March. They just aren't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think, what do you think about um, industrials are just crazy. I mean, I know industrials pre-corona, like we're crushing and I guess they're, I just have never understood. Uh, I know they're like the darling right now. What are your thoughts on industrial space? I, I know, you know, cap rates have been really tight in industrial and I'm not sure where, Industrial will go right now, but um, I think it's probably going to stay pretty solid. It's also one of those things where if you you have a reason to want to be an industrial or really learn and understand that that niche, then it takes a lot of time to get into that niche. Yeah. Or if if you if you're if you'd rather just invest in somebody that's a you know experienced in that niche in those specific deals because you want to be diversified or invest in a type of deal like that that might be better to get started, um, especially on something that is going to be trickier. It, it can be pretty development or redevelopment intensive too. Um, so, and, and you know, you're, anytime you add that, as you know, anytime you add another development component, you just add another layer of complexity and cost overruns. You need to deal with a contractor probably. That's terrible. What do you think about buying paper? Just, just purchasing notes, I mean, um, as opposed to um, being the equity piece on a lot of these deals. Yeah, that's hopefully what I'll be doing in retirement when I'm you know, <laughs> looking at my beachfront uh, property in Latin America or the Caribbean. Um, but uh, I know, you know, we have, we have some clients that are already looking at hotel notes and uh it's a gr- it's a great way to uh 
be on the forefront of, of a foreclosure piece, especially, especially with niche pieces of real estate and commercial real estate, um, because uh, those deals don't always go to auction, right? They're not, they're not always, um, you know, most of the time they're not listed. Sometimes they are, right? And so it's a great way to get the deal flow. You have to understand note investing and you have to understand the underlying asset. But if you do and you, uh, you can have a mixed strategy of real estate investment and or note buying, um, it can be a really awesome strategy. It, sometimes you have to have a lot of cash. Other times you don't. Um, and uh, for example, one of my, uh, one of my friends who invests in, in real estate that he's been trying to, he's been bidding on a deal that's been in default for a mobile home park. And he's also been trying to buy the note. So he kind of has like two tandem paths that he's running. And um, uh, I, I think that, that that can be a good approach, especially if you know, like, I want the property and I'm also fine with the note, right? And either way, it's a win-win for me. Yeah. Uh, meaning if the, if the note stays performing, great. Like, yeah. we'll get it performing and then we'll resell it. Or if it doesn't, we'll foreclose on it. You have to understand what it means to foreclose on something, but then uh, then you have the asset. So, yeah, no, I think that's um, I think and the other I guess the difficult part about note buying is it's a hard market to get into. You have to know an asset manager, and at the highest levels, you're playing against very sophisticated hedge funds, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of smart money that's flooding to the paper business because it's um it's you know you can you can manage it from new york until you're getting down to the foreclosures and that kind of thing you know you're not redeveloping you're not touching the equity until you're in a in a workout scenario um so last question i'm starting out from zero um what is what do you think is the best um asset class and that um, like starting from zero, just ground floor, where do you think is the, the opportunity in the next, whatever, five to seven years, the place, the place that's going to be most worth going through the learning curve and like getting into the, the asset class and picking the niche? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, so I think, uh, a long strategy of seven years, a mix of, so a, a mix of short-term to long-term rental with a mix of, um, you know, some type of, of, of integrated work component. So what does that mean? That means you have, let's say a traditional apartment building and you have more real-time offerings of nightly business, weekly, monthly, yearly, integrated into the investment. And there's some type of component of, um, of work place there, right? So this is kind of the evolution of co-working, multifamily, and Airbnb, right? Um, I think you're going to see more demand uh, for this blend of short-term to long-term rental housing over the next seven years.
Short term, you mean, so like looking at multifamily units that exist on the market today that you can repurpose um, that are, I guess, sell, that are marketable from a short term that you start putting on Airbnb. So I, I look at a 50 unit apartment complex um, where I can start Airbnb some of the units and kind of having more diversified income. Is that? Yeah, I think so. And it might be, you know, a monthly rental, right? Corporate furnished, right? And I think it, it all depends on the market and what you're buying. Um, and I also think of like a, a some type of community that has, you know, amenity space looks different today than it did in coronavirus. But I will say uh, the the telecommute, right? People working from home and wanting a private, some type of workspace within where they live, is is yeah. going to continue to gain traction over over the next seven years. And I think the transient nature is not changing, and the American dream that has been burned to the ground with home ownership, um, at least being delayed, uh, is going to continue to grow too. So um, it's. Uh, it's kind of a really the last 10 years, multifamily has grown in a massive way, it's just kind of now caught up to the demand. And I think you're going to see some of the, sh the changes and shifts blend with that furnished short-term housing with the overall long-term apartment building piece with kind of a mix of, of apartment, uh, with a mix of kind of uh, co I don't want to say co-working, but essentially uh, that's, that's what it would be. So how do you get into that? Right. Um, yeah. Is that, a retro, just a, is that a retro of old, old units and you take some units out and you build a co-working space or that's a, that's a whole new asset class that you're building from the ground up class a type um, apartment complex. I think class A is difficult to get started in. So I think it's a, it's a class B type situation and, um, you know, probably an acquisition strategy, uh, some type of retrofit and start, start small and continue building on it and understanding the economics of it. Um, I think that that has teeth in it and is a solid entry point into an investment strategy over the next seven years. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think um, multifamily. Yeah, the trends will be shifting for sure. What's, if I know nothing about real estate, what's the best resource, um, book, website, Than Merrill? What's the best thing that you would point, <laughs> you would point somebody to, to just like start getting their head wrapped around what is happening? The, do you send people to like learn how to syndicate deals or more like how to underwrite a property or what? Um, yeah. So what's the best real estate book That's a, or a resource? Um, that is a great question. There's a lot of bad information out there. <laughs> yeah, what's the worst? Um, <laughs> That's an easier. <laughs> God, yeah. Um, I would say... Well, there's, uh, I'll give a couple thoughts. If, if you're looking to try to invest in your first deal, I would look at your city, you know, your local city, who are the mid-sized players that are syndicating and investing in deals 
and potentially reach out to them to talk about investing in deals and learning about what they do in a class that you're interested in. That's a great resource. You're not always going to get somebody's time, but you potentially will. Um, there, there are, there, there are plenty of um, books on, on real estate that I think are also solid out there. Um, the, I would say really learning the financial piece, like any, any financial book of how do you underwrite a, a piece of real estate and understanding the math, I think is super critical. When you, un, when you truly understand the math, then you can start to understand the nuances of, of the deal. I, I don't know what the, the best, uh, what the best book is on that, but there's a, there's a cash flow uh, kind of real estate financial book that was pretty heavy. And then probably the last one, there's a book, book called real estate syndication, it's like this thick. Um, and uh, I can't remember the author, but it's a fantastic book. And it really talks about aggregating capital, underwriting deals, finding and sourcing deals, and valuation. And I think that's a really solid book. Sweet. Well, I appreciate the time. And uh, I look forward to the next thing that Hotel, Hotel Rehab is doing. Where should people reach out to you if they got real estate questions? Um, where's the best place to connect? Yeah, uh, you can reach out at Chris at Hotel Rehabs with an S.com um, and uh, or hit me up, uh, find me on my website, hotelrehabs.com or kgcpartners.com. Sweet. All right, man. Well, we'll catch up later. I appreciate the time. Sounds good. Raleigh, good to see you, man. Hair is looking great, yeah. by the way.